You're listening to the Awkward Single Life Podcast. My name is Tiffany Hines. I am a singer, songwriter, a creative who also is a single woman who finally put language to mine and others' dating experiences. Dating culture is awkward. I've heard so many untold stories from men and women, and the time has come to share them. And as your homegirl, I got you. We'll talk sexuality, dating, breakups, singleness, marriage, and all the craziness in between and how to give God glory in it. No matter what age you are, it's going to be a wild ride. So let's get to it. You know, um, and so um, I sat in that house, um, not even 24 hours after he was gone and realized like, oh, wait, that means I'm a widow. <laughs> like, oh, I don't like that word. And so um, I instantly decided like, I'm not a widow. I'm not old. Um, I don't know what I am, but I don't want anybody to call me a widow. And I remember sitting there thinking, that, like, I can't be called a widow. That's just like old people talk. And um, I think the how fact old that- was, How old was Sean when he passed away? He was 33. And I think that fact, heard it more than the fact that I was only 31. And so um, I'll say this to lead up to, to lead up to Sean's passing. Um, he died on October 17th. His birthday was on October 6th. And so we had just had this huge surprise party for him um, where all of the family and our closest friends came together and surprised him. Um, for his birthday that weekend, I had took him away and we had went on one of our like, say now they're called vacations, um, but we had went away to um, Oak Brook and spent the weekend out there and hung out and had fun. Um, and before that, we had really gone through months of grief and dealing with the fact that that Father's Day. Um, that June, my grandmother, our grandmother passed away. And so that really was our, our first immediate family's death and, and handling that. And so we dealt with that in June and then four months later, Sean passes. And so um, our family just really got hit very, very hard, all in one setting, all in one um, year, <laughs> so to say. But um, I think that the, the the day that we got back home and everybody was there, I think that was a powerful moment. And then I know um, a few things that happened that week were very powerful for me. Um, one, um, one of my childhood best friends, Giovanna, um, she came, of course, when you guys called and told her, and I was in the washroom and I looked at her and I said, what do I, what am I going to do? Like, cause I just felt like I had no ideas. I had no thought. And she looked at me and she said, you're going to live. And in that moment, I was so offended. <laughs> I was so angry at her for telling me that, but it was something that every time I felt like I could not breathe, or I could not make it another day. I heard that in my head, you are going to live. And so um, that's good. It was something that was so profound, but so prophetic that God had her speak to me because it constantly brought me back to life at times where I felt like I could not live beyond that moment. So that was a pivotal point. And then um, that night after everybody left, um, I went up to my room. And it was, of course, the first night of being back home and in this room um, that we had spent so much time in. And um, one of my other best friends, uh, Kelly, was in Arizona and she called me and Kelly was um, pregnant <laughs> at the time. And she stayed up with me all night talking. And we talked about how I felt. We talked about 
Like we talked about so many different things. And every time I tried to get off the phone with her because I knew she was pregnant and probably was tired, she refused. And she stayed on the phone with me until I finally fell asleep. So that was the second thing that was so pivotal. And then the third thing was I fall asleep. And um, that morning I woke up and I woke up looking up at the ceiling and it was almost like I forgot what happened. But then it was like this instant memory of like, oh, no, sis, <laughs> life ain't what it used to be. Um, and in that moment, I instantly felt like these tears trying to form. But then I felt that grasp around me again. And I instantly heard God say, you can either allow your children to lose two parents in this situation, or you can allow me to walk you through this process and you will see my hand on the other side of this. And so I decided to follow God and I told God, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. And God told me for the next week, as soon as you get up, run out of this room. And I got up, I ran out the room and my mom was right at the bottom of the stairs and she grabbed me and helped me and I cried in her arms. And that happened for about the next three or four days. I would jump up, run out the room and my mom would, I don't know if she heard me. I don't know if she stood there from a certain time. I don't know. But my mom was always there at the bottom of that first level staircase. And she hugged me as I cried. And I realized that if I did not get myself out that bed that way, I would not get up. And that was my reality, that I would not have gotten up, that I would have stayed there and I would have let myself go. And my kids would have lost both their parents because in that moment, I could not see beyond this devastation. And so um, that was kind of like the, the, the pivotal things. Um, Things that stood out to me that were in, like huge and monumental um, were the lives that got saved during his funeral. Um, I had an atheist tell me that the, his funeral made them like really rethink <laughs> getting their life, giving their life to God because of just how monumental wow. his life was and how impactful it was. And so um, his funeral was. I wanted his funeral to be what he deserved. And um, I felt like his funeral was my last date with him. And I, don't, I think it was us who went to pick out my outfit, right? And, yes, um, I remember. And this outfit had to be perfect, honey. My funeral um, attire had to be perfect because I felt like it was my last date with him. And it couldn't be... Um, anything that wouldn't have made him like be like wow you know but at the same time we at church and it's a funeral <laughs> so um, it was just a mess I remember trying stuff on and it was like no I can't wear this and no it has to be and trying to figure that thing out but I, rem um, I remember these words that you said to me and you were looking for something to wear and you started to cry because you were saying you couldn't find anything. And you said, like, it's like I'm meeting him on. Um, <sighs> I'm meeting him for the first time and I don't know what to wear. And you just started crying and I had to go find a little place in between some clothes racks because <laughs> I couldn't let you see me cry. But I just remember being like, God, I don't know what to say mm -hmm. and what to do. Like, please help my sister. And as hard as that was, I, I think about that statement that you said, because it was just so beautiful, Mo. Like as hard as it is, it was like these this love story term of I feel like I'm about to meet him for the first time, and you were pressed of what to wear to meet your husband. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
I don't know. I think that all goes full circle to just how much we loved each other. Um, one thing that his uncle said that was so good to me and it blessed my soul. It blessed everything within me. Um, the day before the funeral, he was, he was the person who actually did his eulogy and he came over and he was like, you know what? He said, one thing I can say about you and my nephew is that you all loved each other so much that you don't have any regrets. He said, you know, you have couples who regret that they didn't say they loved each other enough or they regret that they didn't apologize. He said, but the love you guys had, you guys loved each other. And that blessed me so much because it was a reality of I did. And I loved him with everything I had. And then my logic, it was almost like my logic sparked a little bit. And it was like, so what does that mean for you now? Because you don't have regrets. You can, you know, look at this and process this a little bit differently with just this little nugget. And that's what I started doing. I took that little nugget and was just like, so there has to be something beyond this, right? Like, maybe? Possibly. (laughs) So, yeah. So being married for 13 years, Christian woman, and like you said, you and Mo, you and Sean did everything together. And one of those things was ministry and serving mm-hmm. together. And and um, I wanted to bring this up because you were 31, Sean was 33 years old, you were married for over a decade and you created this life and you these plans and dreams and you know for those who may know these terms like prophesied to of what you guys would do together and all these things and what you created and now you're in your 30s fresh in your 30s and you've lost your husband can you give even like a honest, what has the experience post-marriage been for you in ministry? Um, there's so many dynamics in different ways that I can go with this. I will say just honestly from the very beginning, it sucked because, um, you know, we had certain things lined up in ministry that were supposed to happen that all just stopped and like fell by the wayside once he passed away and um in the churches that i have attended and have grown up in most of the time ministry is only done with couples and so um most times the only things that are allowed for singles are you know the singles ministry or um what Sunday school teachers or, you know, um, child care uh, workers. Um, you never hear something that's done for widows, you know, a widow doing anything, yet alone serving. And um, big time ministry of, you know, doing your own church and stuff like that. That's, that's not really heard of. And so, um, I began to, as we, as you know, as life started progressing and, um, you know, I started getting back into, um, I won't even say getting back into, um, I started actually living this new way of living um, because I don't believe that you go back to where you were. I don't think that's possible. This is just my opinion. I think you learn a new way of living beyond the loss of the mm-hmm. person that you had. And so, um, yeah, I noticed that, um, you know, years went by and those discussions never happened. The discussions that were happening when Sean was alive about ministry completely halted and stopped. Um, and it caused me to question, like, so what does that mean? Did, did my ministry die, you know, because he died? Or, you know, where does that leave me? Um, but I will say this, um, 
I I can't say that it was right how it was handled, but I can say that I was not ready to do anything on my own, even when I felt like I was ready, because I had to take time to learn who I was now. Who is this new person? Um, yeah. Because I was not the same. I was not this um, face-moving giant that I once was. My face got shattered because as you brought up, we were pro- we were prophesied all of these promises of what our life was going to be. And to know that God had spoken all of this stuff, but also to know that God knows all things. Why did you tell me this stuff? And now he's not here. Right. So guess what? I don't trust you anymore. Right. <laughs> and that's just how I felt. How about like, that, God? Right. Trust <laughs> broken, period. You know? And that's just how I felt. And so that's how I felt. And that's how I began to live my life. Um, and I was very honest with God about that. Um, if you give me through today, I may trust you for tomorrow. But <laughs> to trust you with my life, yeah, well, you on probation with that, bro. And I felt that way for a very long time. Um, but the grace of God to understand, I believe, I wrote this, um, I used to write poetry when I was younger. Not that much younger because I'm still young. But um, I wrote this story after this um, this boy who was younger at our church. His mother died of this tragic accident. And... I wrote this story that I, this poem that I felt that God inspired me to write. And it talked about how God formed us, but before he formed us, he thought of us in his mind and drew us out. And as he, the poem talks about how, as you know, he structured and crafted our faith, the thoughts that he had. Um, But it also talked about this part where God drew tears coming from the, the poem was about the boy, of course, but it talked about how, God drew tears and Jesus asked him like, well, why would you put tears there? And God started talking about, oh, this tear is because of this. And this tear is because of that. And it spoke about how this tear is about the day his mom dies. And um, I wrote in a poem about how God cried as he drew these tears and explained these tears. And the poem was basically to say, you know, even though God knew these things and he understood that these things were going to happen, He cries then and he cries now, even in those moments. So his heart is always for us, even in those moments. And so um, going through life, having written something that powerful and then having to live it out myself sucked because it was like, I understand all of that. And I understand that maybe that was what you did. Maybe you did draw these tears as you formulated my face in your mind. but did it have to be these tears for this moment? Mm-hmm. Um, or did you have to give me such a good guy and such a good marriage and such a good family and such a good dynamic that um, I don't know what to do now, you know, now that it's gone. And yeah. so, um, yeah, ministry was very hard. Ministry was very much like, I don't know if it was a thing of, you know, leaders saying, you know, she probably need her space. Give her as much time as she wants, man. You know, whenever she brings it up, we'll say something. But I think this part is like important to share because, and I'm glad you shared both sides, but to provoke some thought, whether a leader or a friend is listening, it's better with death to not assume anything. <laughs> Because assuming things about how someone feels, it feels typically like neglect when it's not neglect. And I also think that sometimes people categorize me seeing where you're at is me asking, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Um, And I can take from that to say, oh, maybe you're ready to do this now or maybe you're not. But most times, at least for me, I found if I was having a good day, I would say I'm having a good day. If mm-hmm. I was having a not so good day, I would say I'm having a not so good day. Um, but if you're just asking me how I'm doing, I'm not going to respond to say I'm having a good day. And I feel like I'm ready to do the things that God called me to do. You know, 
I think it's more so from a point of understanding, like, hey, I believe that God still has a calling on your life. Um, whether you believe that or not right now, that's yeah. understandable. But when you get to a place where you either have questions about it or where you want to discuss it, I am here and I'm open to having those discussions with you. That's even a, a, a small start. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, because at the t- it, it seems like if people know, because a lot of people don't know what to do with death. I mean, I don't Listen, always know what to do. It's a lot. People and death, it's awkward. And I think my experience of losing my grandmother and losing Sean has taught me a few things. People say the stupidest things. Um, they sure do. They I still got a little, a little sunflower seed about <laughs> what somebody said to you at that hospital about. Oh, yeah. Oh, did y'all pray? Why y'all didn't pray for him to raise from the dead? Yeah. Excuse me. No. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, no yeah. ma'am. You don't know oh, yeah. what happened. And we did pray. You know what I mean? But you don't say that. So your faith is not bigger than someone you someone else's. And that's and, the stuff that you these remember are things that forever. I, yeah. <laughs> but I think these are things that people don't realize that they can say that could shipwreck someone. If Absolutely. I was not strong enough and the things that were said to me about, well, you know, how long do you want to pray? Do you want to pray days? I believe God can still resurrect him. And then I tell you, God told me that he was with him. And you say, well, that's your, your faith just isn't there. What is that shipwreck you? as a person, you know? But right. I think that one of the greatest things that I can say that <laughs> I'm getting I, mad again. Sorry. <laughs> I think one of the greatest things that I had was my own relationship with God. And I knew God for myself. I didn't need a pastor to tell me what God was. I didn't need, I knew God for myself. There were things before all of this happened that different experiences that I had with God myself to know him and to know who he was. Did I trust him? No, because I was hurt. But I knew who he was. And so when God told me he's gone, I knew it. I I knew that there was no point in me questioning it. I felt like there was no point in me asking, but can I have him back? Can I? It just, it was this resolve almost like, um, you know, I hate to make it this light because I know it's not, but almost like, you know, like that day you ate, (laughs) ate. Adrian's sub when she was pregnant, he came home crazy. Like, <laughs> it's gone. Like, <laughs> right. I'm sorry. It's right. gone. <laughs> it's gone. Like, there's nothing else that can be done. It's gone. Adrian and is so, our sister. <laughs> Adrian is our sister. And Tiffany almost lost her entire life because she ate. My whole life. She ate I her she gave me a sandwich. <laughs> I didn't know I was getting half a piece of it for a pregnant woman. But, but I think it's, it's that. And I think. I would, and I say this all the time when people ask me, like, well, what should I say? And one of the greatest examples of a person handling such a, a weird situation was my friend LaShonda. <laughs> Sorry. LaShonda. So I know the names are so close. Um, LaShonda showed me a side of handling grief that I feel like should be written in books. It should be taught in classes because me and Shonda, I'm just going to say Shonda, you know who you are, love. Me and Shonda didn't know each other as well until after Sean died. Sean had like tried to get us to be friends for the longest, but just time just didn't allow it. Right. And so um, Shonda and her husband, David, David and Sean were very close and they did music together. And they lived literally right across the street from us. Mm -hmm. And because of that, after Sean died, Shonda came over our house every day. And Shonda came over the house of a person who she did not know. She knew my husband. She did not know me, but she came and she sat every day. And I could not understand it because I was like, I don't know this chick. I don't understand why she's sitting here. And later, as we got closer, she told me, she said, Mo, God told me to go over there and sit with you every day and just be there. And the moment that 
you needed me, I would know. And we didn't say anything to each other because I didn't know this chick. Like she would, you know, she would ask the kids if they needed anything. She asked you all, you all need, she was so hospitable, but it was so uncomfortable because nobody knew her, right? And so, you know, I did Sean's obituaries myself. I was very much like, everything has to be perfect for this man's funeral. And when it was time to pick up his obituaries, she asked me if she can go with me because I was going to go by myself. And she was like, I'll ride with you. It's okay. And I'm like, it really is okay. You don't have to go. <laughs> <laughs> and she rode with me and I get the obituaries from the printer and we're sitting in a car. And this is literally the day before the funeral. And I sat there in that car and read this obituary and I cried and cried. This girl said nothing. Okay. I just cried. And then I said, I can't do this. And it was like, there was this moment in my mind that it was like, I can't, I can't put this boy in the grave. I can't, I can't sit in a funeral, even though I orchestrated the whole thing. I can't do this. And she looked at me and she said, Monique, if you don't want to go to that funeral, we ain't got to go to that funeral. You set everything up in order. It doesn't matter what people think. If it's something that you don't want to do, if this is about you and it's about your kids. And when I tell you that statement freed me <laughs> so much because even though I felt that, and of course the next day I got up and got dressed in this whole outfit that took forever for me to find and all of that, it was still this freedom to know if I don't do this, it doesn't mean that I didn't love him. If I don't go, it doesn't mean who cares what people think, you know, what you had with them. Right. And this is just something that's just too hard for you to handle, you know? And I walked away from that moment. Like, who is this chick? But <laughs> God, I'm so thankful that she was here right here because I needed to hear that. And so I said all that to say that even in our hardest moments, I feel like God always puts people in our path to give those little nuggets of love and wisdom um, because we need it, you know? Yeah. And I think for people who may not know what to do, if someone loses their spouse and is going through yeah, this sometimes. grief thing, I don't know, sister, you're fine. I think the knowledge just to know that most people who lose their spouse naturally are going to have to fight through some identity crisis things because they've built a life with someone for X amount of time. And now what they built has changed and Mm -hmm. a lot of it gone. So naturally identity of who am I? So to help, I think affirming something in someone that you already know about them will really help so that then they don't think that their purpose is wrapped up in their spouse, wrapped up in their spouse. But you may not be ready to do anything, but let me affirm you that who you are, Monique, as a person is not wrapped up because you are a great wife to Sean or a great mom. But in that in that process, that affirmation and that checkup on when it comes to people wanting to live out their purpose, I just think that even that practical tool will help that whole thing of, so when it comes to church culture, only married people <laughs> yeah. are called to do certain things, you know, widowed or not, single people typically don't get the same type of view because it's safer to have a married guy, you know, in ministry or a married girl or whatever. Well, that's that what people, that's what people believe. A lot that's of what times they it's not safer. And I'll say this, I think what you said is very good, but I think you have to be specific in timing. Um, I don't believe that that's something that you say the day of, you know, like, you know, that oh, whole, sure, yeah. yeah, you know, well, God knew best, you know, yeah, don't God, do none of God wanted him better. The amount of people that I wanted to punch in their face, pastors, bishops, prophets, prophetess, because it's so, it's just 
so heartless to say that to somebody in their grief. Um, what do you mean? God loved, you loved them, but God loved them more. What? You know, like, we got to figure out some better words of compassion to give for people who need comfort. Because that's not comforting. It's yeah. not. Um, you know, um, well, you know, we wanted them here, but God, God needed them up there. Why does God need them up in heaven? He's, yeah, like, what? You know, uh, so I think it's that, but it's also the understanding the timing of things. One thing that I always tell people when they ask me, like, I have a friend who lost himself. I don't know what to say. And I just say, you need to pray because what I found is that my friends, when I asked them, like, how did you know to do what you did? They were God led. Shonda, God told me to do X, Y, and Z. Um, my friends were led by God. They prayed and asked God, what God, you got to help me with this because I love Mo and I know I need to be here for her. My girlfriend, Kelly, God gave me the strength to stay up because I knew I needed to be there. And her burden of not being able to just hop on the plane and get to me was so heavy that it was like, Lord, you got to answer this prayer. I need to be here for my friend, how she needs me. And that was what I needed. I needed to stay up and talk and get stuff off my chest, you know? So I think it's that dynamic of one praying, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it, but just using wisdom. If you don't know what to say, just don't say it and be honest and be transparent. I had someone who um, I knew when um, our, our aunt a few years later our aunt renee passed and they said to me they said i don't know what to say to you but i want you to know that i'm here that i'm here to listen i'm here if you need to cry i'm here for whatever you need in this moment but i don't want to say something stupid or ignorant that could hinder you in your grieving process so i'm i i don't know the right words to say but i'm here i feel like for me that was a healthier statement and some of the statements that were said to me in, from people who thought they were being comforting, and it was so offensive. Um, what I've grown to realize is that death is very uncomfortable for Americans. We, we have a culture of like, you, you know, someone dies, you bury them, and you move on with your life. And that's not realistic. And so when it's not you that's in that grieving moment or that grieving process, you continue moving on with life and it causes you to tend to forget that these people still have to now formulate and structure this new way of living. And so life slows down for them while it's this continuous fast pace for you. And so then when you see them again and you still see them in a state of grief, it's like, whoa, shouldn't you be over this by now? <laughs> that doesn't happen. But I, I feel like in ministry, that's not looked at that way. Um, ministry doesn't look and say, well, you should be done with this by now so we can now move you on. It's just like you just fall away and, well, we, we won't utilize you anymore. Hmm. And for someone so young at 31 who had such a prominent ministry beforehand, this is what you're telling me is like, that's it. Well, all of the prophetic that you received, that was just for that moment with your spouse. There's nothing left for you. I refuse to believe that, but it took me, a, it took me getting to a place as I identified who I was as an individual that I got to that place of refusing to believe it. So Mo, you spent your twenties married, mm -hmm. up to 31 married and your thirties, now widowed slash single how where are you with this whole life after death and when it comes to relationships and dating and marriage well um i think that's a very vast and broad question um <laughs> okay. so i know that i mentioned that you know when i first lost sean i i refused to be titled a widow. Um, I just think eventually I got to a point of realizing that that's what I was. And like, man, that's heavy. What does that mean for me? But God, I'm a widow, you know? Um, 
at 31, I knew um, that there was no way that my philosophy that I had all my life that you only had one soulmate was real. That completely got washed away because that would have meant that I would have had to spend the rest of my life with no one. And I couldn't foresee that happening at 31, maybe 75, maybe 90, but not 31. And so I was like, well, that's not true. <laughs> um, but so as I said, I, like, for some people, that alone is eye opening. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the soulmate, only get one person thing. What happens when you're 31? And because I never thought that I would lose Sean, I never thought about that. And so, um, you know, we counsel couples, we counsel, you know, people who were dating and, you know, I firmly believe that you only have one soulmate. And I truly believe that Sean was the only soul that matched me and was my mate. Um, But after he passed away, it was just like, oh, um, I'm a sexual being and um, I like being with the man and um, yeah, that's Hello. how it works. Yeah. Good evening. <laughs> so um, that, that kind of changed my perspective about soulmates. Um, and so um, it's not that I don't believe that you have a soulmate. I think you determine who your soulmate is and you build and grow into having a soulmate. Um, and you can that you can have more than one not at the same time (laughs) but um you said that to me because i'm out here pimping no (laughs) (laughs) pimping hard but um i think that you you can um have more than one soulmate and i feel that strongly of course because that's just my life now you know um but um uh in reference to dating and um I go back and forth between titling myself as a single and titling myself as a widow um funny um it depends on the group that I'm with when I'm around widows I'm a widow (laughs) um but I I try to um allow myself to be okay with being single um just because it's been nine years um but in reference to uh, dating, I started dating um, probably six or seven years ago. Um, I made the decision that um, with all my finite logic that, um, you know, my kids were young. This person was going to have to meet my children. They were going to have to go through all of the process of, you know, meeting my family and my family being okay with them, my children being okay with them. Like, this long process and my thought pattern was I better get this wheel turning because I want to be remarried before I turn 40. And so I started dating. Um, but in hindsight, I started dating out of being lonely and not because I was actually ready for a relationship. And so there's a difference. And I think one thing that I've grown to become is a woman who is true to myself before I'm true to anyone else. And so, um, and being lonely, um, because you have to think about it. We were married for 13 years, but we were together for way more than that. And so I was used to doing everything with the man. I went to the show with the man. I went to the movies with the man. I did so many things with the man. And then this death happens and all my girlfriends are like, I'm here. Where do you want to go? Let's get out the house. And your sisters. And yeah. And my like sister. sleepover. Right. <laughs> and I right. I got to a point where I was like, I am sick of sitting next to women everywhere I go. I just need to <laughs> I need to smell of a man. The masculinity sitting next to me. Um tobacco spray on for you, sister. No, no thank you. Tobacco <laughs> on wood and uh-uh, no <laughs> night musk. Right. Like, but Um, It was more so the companionship that I missed. It wasn't that I wanted a relationship just yet. And so, um, yeah, that put me in a predicament of making some very wrong decisions in dating um, because I was dating people who um, either one, 
I was at a point where I wasn't ready for something serious and they wanted something serious with me or I didn't want something serious. And it was like, well, maybe I do want something serious. But then it got serious and I was like, uh, sorry, I kind of don't want this. Um, and a lot of that stemmed from fears of the future because of my past. What if, yeah. what if you die? What if, um, you know, what if something happens to you? What if the same thing happens to you? Can I go through that again? Can I yeah. actually live through li- losing someone else again? Can I actually go through the fact of loving someone else again and potentially losing them? So all of that stuff played a part. But um, I think one thing that I will say in reference to being a single or widow, I think for this platform, I would consider myself a widow because there is a difference, a smidge bit of a difference between being single and being widowed. Um, I would say, I would even dare say there's a difference between being single, between being widowed, and then between being a divorcee. Because a lot of times, some people like to put all of those things into one box, and they're not the same. And no, so they're not. the reason why I say that is because as a single person who's never been married, um, if you've never had sex, you have things to look forward to, but nothing that has been awakened, you know? Um, if you are single and you've had sex before, yes, you go through the challenge of, dang, I can't get none until my husband comes. Um, but you also know the repercussions that happens if I do and it's not my husband, right? But when you are a widow, at least for me, I had a very healthy sex life. <laughs> and so I went from, no, I'm <laughs> I went from this marriage to, um, there wasn't a, you know, Sean didn't pass from cancer. He died of a heart attack. So we didn't know this was going to happen. There was no preparation for me mentally, physically, any of that. And so y'all probably you know, had sex. Yes. Yeah. And Sunday. Oh, yes, we did. And so I think <laughs> the reality is, seriously, we did. But I think the reality is, um, you know, a lot of times you have virgins or, you know, church or single people or whoever who always uses the scripture, don't awaken love before it's time. My love was awakened in the right time. And then the time was snatched from me with no mm-hmm. warning. And so how do you handle all of those emotions and, you know, how do you deal with all of that? You know, and so um, I feel like there's a difference. I, the difference between widows and divorcees, a lot of times people feel like, and I respect everyone's opinion because your life is different than mine. I'm not walking through this life as a person who has divorced Sean. I'm walking through this life as a person who lost him to death, right? Mm-hmm. But divorcees will say, I feel like it's better to be a widow because they're gone and you don't have to keep constantly see them and the reminders of everything keeps coming up. I say that's different because you possibly have the opportunity to heal and actually forgive and move forward and have a healthy relationship. Even if it's not marriage, you have that opportunity. If you decide to do that versus me who does not have any opportunity at all, it's just, done with that's a the good perspective close you know and so I will say regardless of what your view is I think even in this we as individuals have to respect wherever you are and not compare it because it's different I, I brought all that up to say to get back to to the point of I can't compare being single to being a widow I can't compare being single to being divorced I can't compare being a widow to being divorced, none of, they're all different. And so I think, in my opinion, we need to get to a point of separating them and embracing them for what they are. Mm. I respect you as a single person. I respect you as a widow. I respect you as a divorcee. It's not a comparison or this one suffers more, Once this better, one suffers less. Worse. I think it's respecting the person in their position and respecting them in your viewpoint and how you address it, all of that is important because no situation should be taken differently. I, I can't look at a single person and say, oh, honey, you don't understand my life. 
without having my husband because you didn't you never had one how disrespectful and just just hurtful does that sound you know that's yeah. so mean and, or a single person saying you just don't understand because at least you had a husband right Girl, if you don't get someone to sit down you know so I think understanding that um is huge for me I've gone through uh this weird dynamic is what I feel like it is of what does this mean for me you know you go through the the hurt of when is when is this next person even gonna come you know because I don't know about nobody else but this day in the world I would give it a 0.0 no higher stars and tell people that it is completely ghetto here and I would not recommend it um dating is so ghetto right now right and so the the prospects are very minimum, <laughs> if to none. Um, and you go through as a woman all of this dynamic of being raised to believe, you know, you, you grow up, you get your education, you become a wife, you have a family. This this is the structure. You know, there's this set dynamic. You see it in TV, you hear it from your parents, your parents want grandchildren. It's all of these um, un some unspoken, some spoken expectations, right? And so what happens when you've had that and then it's gone? So where do, where do you gain your sufficiencies and feeling like you're adequate enough, um, especially when you decide that you want to start dating again? And so I think for me, I had to learn that being single is not a bad thing. Being a widow is not a bad thing. It's not a curse. Um, I had to come to the reality of my focus being so strong on being in a relationship. And that's not what God focuses on more so than what our society causes us to focus on. You know, everybody has relationship goals and couple goals. And, you know, uh, everybody wants to be the next whatever couple, right? But biblically speaking, what does the Bible talk about more? The Bible doesn't hone in on relationships nonstop. That's not, or marriage, or, you know, that's not what the Bible talks about mainly. And so I had to learn to understand that while this is something that I do desire and it's okay to desire it, I have to stop making this be this big thing that I have to constantly think on and constantly figure out when is it going to happen is this him is it you know like this just calm down and breathe you know <laughs> and even in understanding like you know this thought that I was supposed to surely I'll get remarried by 40 because uh, you know I was married and I succeeded and I did everything right so I know how to be the perfect way what <laughs> man wouldn't want me you know um I think that realistically speaking, um, I probably would have been married by now had I not taken things into my own hands and established relationships when I probably shouldn't have been in relationships and um, wasted time with people who I probably shouldn't have. But because I was lonely, it was like, well, OK, let's just have this relationship and have fun for what, six or seven months. And, you know, it was just time that. I do appreciate, I will say, those relationships and value them because I learned things from them. But were they things that, you know, I really needed or situations that I needed necessarily to learn things from? Probably not. It's really cool to talk about this, Mo, because we haven't had this conversation before mm -hmm. about, yeah, how it's that experience has been and even that this viewpoint or aha of where you were and that's why you dated or even that you feel like you could have already been married. Yeah. Hmm. Haven't we all wasted time? <laughs> because of me not wanting to wait for God. And I, that's not just relationship wise. That's me making a decision to buy a car because I didn't want to wait for God to finally bless me with one, you know, and seeing the repercussions of me doing things my way and not God's way. And I think even in this, it's taught me, um, one, that I have to 
continuously grow in trusting God, but also continuously die in mo trying to handle things because God isn't handling them in a quick enough time frame as I think. I always tell people that I feel like my logic is a blessing and a curse at the same time because there's always a timeline for me. It well, it's, it's clearly it should happen in this this timeline, right? So, you know, as I'm as I was getting closer to forty, it was like, bro, you taking too long. Let me just figure this out for myself. And um, Bible does it doesn't say, you know, what you have put together by stating this is who you have to be with. So clearly I can put us together and you will agree on it and it'll be okay, you know? And so um, I think it's that dynamic of understanding. I, I have to let God's timing happen, but I also believe that in that we have to be in a position and we have to be available for it. So what does that mean? I admire that about you, that even through all of this and just jumping out there, I've seen you not make a big deal about meeting somebody like as a person that overthinks often when it comes to dating or going somewhere with anybody, I will say observing that about you. And I never thought about it. And I would love, I know we don't have a ton of time, but I feel like people need to know and hear that there is a difference in reference to dating perspective and how maybe you date as a widow and how I date as a single. Because you have 13 years of a committed relationship, legally documented everything. And I don't have that. Not that it's less or greater, but the two perspectives of what I may think or you may think how I should be. You know what I mean? I just... So I think for me, my dating is is very um, preschool and amateur because I got married at 19. And so I didn't date a lot before I got married. And now there's this completely different scene of dating that's completely different than anything I ever knew before I got married. Um, All the advice Sean would give me, it would just be (laughs) fail. (laughs) Bro, you've been married since you were 14. You're giving me bad advice. That Mm -hmm. dude did not like me. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think for me, it's more so um, the difference in uh, perspective, whether you're married, you were married, whether you're divorced, widowed or single. I think it's the perspective that I have that's different because for me, I dissect things and digest things with, of course, God's help from a different way than most women do. So when I meet a person, I just meet a person. Most women are meeting a a person and in their minds, they're automatically trying to figure out, is this my husband? Can, you know, like, does he have all of these, these qualities, the one, two, three, four, five bullets that will take me to the next level of meeting, you know, of wanting to know more about him. Whereas I tend to be more like a guy and it's just like, hey, we're just getting to know each other. What what you say your name was? What your mama do? Uh, you know, it's just like, can we even have a cool conversation? And if you notice, most times we as women, you know, we ask the questions. You know, do you have a job? Do you you know? Do you love your mom? But it's all in that intentionality for us to knock these things off the list. Yes, I can. We can continue talking because you love God. You got a job. You got a degree. You know, like all of this stuff. So what happens most of the time, right? When you see stuff like this happen, a man walks away and he says, hey, I met this girl. She was cool. Think I want to see her again, right? We get on the phone and we call our girl. We like, girl, I think I found them. <laughs> I, I think I found them, right? And so then our girlfriend is like, well, what does he do? I don't remember what he said, but he got a job. We're not listening to learn. We're listening to knock off a checklist to get to marriage. Mm-hmm. And where we mess up with that is that a lot of times we're so far in advance to the man because he's still in this getting to know you phase, but we already are trying to get to marry you. And so I think I learned that in reference to the counseling and stuff that me and Sean did over the years that has helped me. So now it's like, 
nah, bro, I don't need to, I don't need to know nothing about, you know, if you want kids on the first date, just can you, can you eat and chew with your mouth closed? Cause that's important right. to me and just getting to know anyone. Cause I'm not going out with you again, if you can't, you know, can you catch on to my jokes and actually laugh at them wholeheartedly? Cause if you laugh fake, we probably don't need to even be friends, you know? Oh, that's, that's not fair. Fake <laughs> laughing? Come on. Huh? Everybody's humor's different. But still, does that, but how far do we go if we can't laugh at each other's jokes? If you don't find what I'm saying humorous, how how much further can we go, right? And so I think for me, <laughs> having that type of mentality has caused me to have so much freedom in being myself. I don't, yeah. I don't, I never am one to put on this facade of, you know, oh, I'm just so, I'm, I'm who I am from the day you meet me. There's no surprises. You meet me, you know that I love God. I'm not this super spiritual person. I'm down to earth. I laugh, I joke, I will crack jokes on you in a minute because I need you to understand that this is who I am. I'm not trying to impress you. And a lot of times as women, that's Period. what we but right. I'm not I'm not here to impress you. Um, if I start feeling you, we're, we're beyond. I know you now, so I don't feel like I have to impress you because now you know me. And so if you're feeling me, too, you know me as Mo. And I think that's that's one of the things that grew from me losing shine is my my identity. I grew from being Monique to becoming Mo. Mo was a decision that I made. Um, Mo was a nickname that um, my girlfriend Kelly's husband, Brandon, gave me. And for years, I fought him on it. Like, stop calling me Mo. My name is Monique. I hated being called Mo because I felt like it was a guy's name. And um, I didn't want anybody to mistake, oh, here comes Mo, and they see a girl and be like, oh, I thought it was a guy. That was offensive to me. So, no, I didn't want to be called Mo. I'm a lady. Right. <laughs> but in discovering who I was and in this new identity that I was forming, it was like I feel like Mo was more of a down to earth, cool, this is who I am, take me as I am type of vibe. And that's what I wanted. I no longer wanted to be um beyond the if someone knew my name, beyond being Sean's wife. <laughs> I wanted to be, you know, oh, it's Mo. Tell us about your new endeavor and your new brand. Ah, okay. So um, I started this um, brand a few years ago, uh, which was under Mo Logic because I loved um, the ability to give my thoughts and my feel and my, um, my opinions on just all things, all things life, all things relationships. And I found that a lot of the times things that I spoke on was very close to, that were very close to my heart had to do with my faith and breaking the religious stigma of my faith, as well as it had to do with things in reference to uh, relationships, because marriage was such was and is such a vital part of who I am and a passion of seeing marriages thrive, but not only just thrive, but actually seeing marriages where you see people who are who are together and they love, love each other is a passion of mine. And then the other part is being a woman and embracing your womanhood. And so um, years ago, I started this whole MoLogic philosophy and it was just me sharing my thoughts about those things uh faith relationship and womanhood and then I started speaking at events and I felt like well you can't be known for everything is no logic that doesn't make sense and so I needed to rebrand and with the help of you my lovely sister <laughs> I came up with just the simple Mo Thomas because I feel like the Mo logic still can fall under that but it really helps me to be who I am. And so over the years, I've had the amazing opportunity to mentor some amazing women. When I was married, you know, of course, I counseled 
numerous couples and even after um even being a widow i've counseled couples who still trusted me with advice in reference to relationships and i just have always been a person who has spoke on these things and feel like god has called me to speak on these things and so the brand doing structure and leadership coaching that helps women break the cultural ceiling and barrier that most of us find in our relationships and our faith and in womanhood. And so let's talk about like everyday life right now, right? As a black African-American woman right now, it is hard. You know, we're dealing with so many things and it's not just, it's stuff that's the heavy weight in our society. It's the heavy weight in our church. It's, it's even the heavy weight in the Bibles that we read that are written by men. And so understanding who we really were created by God to be and what God meant for us, I think is so pivotal for us understanding our womanhood, that God created us man and woman, right? But as women, I talk about this a lot, that, you know, I find in, in marriages, a lot of times women struggle with sex is because we were raised to believe that sex was bad. You know, you don't have sex into marriage and that's all you were told. And so sex is this bad thing until you get married, but then you don't know anything beyond that. And so now you're married to someone and feeling like, this is still wrong. What do I you know, do? Right. I should still do this in the dark because it still feels bad. And so understanding womanhood, what does that mean for you as a woman? What does that mean for you in your sexuality? What does that mean for you in being a mother and being a sister and being a friend? Also embracing the fact that womanhood is such a beautiful thing. And when all of those things tie together and you have identity and you have purpose in those things, owning it and, you know, taking the lead on those things and knowing that you are called and purpose to do that is, is a huge dynamic to it. And so that's what Mo Thomas is about. I love, I love it. And I'm so happy and proud of you, sister, of this just Mo Thomas, just coming out brand. Where can they find you? Give us your social handle. Sure. You can find me at Mo Thomas underscore speaks. Okay. And that's where we'll, you mentioned what relationships, faith, and womanhood. Yes. Yes. Okay. My last question for you. What's one thing that you can help our listeners with that are single and have been widows and are now walking this single widowed post-married life? What's one encouraging thing? I would say, um, learn who you are as an individual and learn to love who you are as an individual um embrace that and allow god to lead you on your journey and not feel like you have to um meet the expectations of others meet the expectations of what could have should have would have been if your spouse was still here um not push to meet the expectations of you know, what others think that you should be, but be true to yourself. And I would say if, if I can leave with any, if I can leave you with anything is to live, you know, you were left on this world for a reason, even if your spouse is gone. And I firmly believe that it is for you to live and living does not mean that, um, you are living and, you know, leaving that person behind. And um, the struggle of having that guilt can be heavy. But I always look at it as a a gift that I was still put here. I was still left here on this earth beyond shine passing for a reason. And so I take every opportunity to live. I take every opportunity to laugh and to laugh from my gut, honey, because um, I just think that life is too short for us to take everything so seriously. And I take every opportunity to make a memory and to have a memory. The amount of memories that I had from me and Sean and the amount of memories that I was blessed to 
have with me and my grandmother are what keeps me going. And so, yeah, live, laugh, and continue to make memories that will sustain you beyond losing the life of a loved one. Wow. Monique, thank you so much for being transparent, sharing your story, giving us so much. I just have felt just so touched by this. And I hope that people out there listening are too, that we get to experience and hear Monique become and, and experience life after death. I hope that it's been encouraging to you as much as it's been encouraging to me, y'all. Again, this is not your normal dating, singles podcast, but we just have so much more to talk and share about. And so, like I'm going to keep saying, let's define this relationship. I want you to go ahead and subscribe if you haven't. And friends, if you have already subscribed, share with a friend. Um, let's, let's get the word out that there's a podcast out there that is honest and transparent and really, really wants to talk about the things that are really not being told like in dating culture and in, in singlehood that has nothing to do with just dating, but what it is to be us and what it is to be an individual, even if you're married, even if you've been divorced, and even if you've experienced loss of a loved one, of a spouse, this podcast is for you too. You can follow me at Tiffany Hines Music on Instagram. Go to my website, tiffanyhinesmusic.com. If you have any topic, a concern, you want to leave a comment, you can email me at awkwardsinglelife at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I'll see you soon.